0: I would say that is the most difficult thing, and it took me almost 16 years. 16 years where I feel like I lost friends, I lost girlfriends, I lost important people in my life. You know, it's something where you constantly giving yourself a reason as to why it's someone else's fault, or why you're not in the wrong, or why this disease is something that's just like this minor condition that, you know, you can handle and it's not that big of a deal. That was Kyle,
1: talking about his long journey to come to terms with the fact that epilepsy is a condition you need to take seriously and manage carefully. Kyle's resistance to managing epilepsy isn't through a lack of knowledge. His mother has it, and his two sisters take medication as a precaution against it. The resistance comes from something deeper, the resistance we all have to admitting there's some part of us that doesn't work quite right. In this episode of Silent Superheroes, we hear about Kyle's first grand mal seizure. He shares what it's like to experience a seizure and how long it takes him to recover. And he reflects on different places he's worked, and how some have been better than others in terms of managing his epilepsy. Remember, Kyle and I are just two people talking about our personal experiences living with a mental illness. If you're currently in treatment and considering a change to your treatment plan, please consult with a medical professional. My name's James Pratt. I'm the host of Silent Superheroes, and I'm really glad that you're here.
2: Welcome to the Silent Superheroes Podcast, a series of frank conversations about mental health at work.
1: Welcome to Silent Superheroes. I'm here today with my guest, Kyle. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Listeners would love to get to know you a little bit. So why don't you tell us uh, who you are? What do you do?
0: Yeah, my name is Kyle Borkart. I uh, grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin, the lovely cheese state, <laughs> uh, and went to the university in Wisconsin, studied psychology and marketing, and really became fascinated with people. And, uh I've been in the business world now for about 10 years, really exploring a range of, uh, of roles from sales and business development to over the last seven years being in HR, or as I would call it, people-related roles. Uh, and really now I'm really focused on creating this holistic employee experience that really powers an individualized experience for every employee, um, regardless of you know, where they are in the employee lifecycle.
1: That's awesome. And um, who do you do that with?
0: So I work for a company named Cleary. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are an HR tech startup based in San Francisco. And about a year and a half ago, they co-built a tool with Square uh, that was really designed to uh, limit the noise from the top uh, while giving the individual the ability to say, this is what I want to see. This is how I want to receive it um, and really create um, a very personalized means to communicate internally.
1: I can tell you said that before.
0: You know, I, I have said it <laughs> once or twice. Um, <laughs> So uh, this is a podcast about mental health at work. So why don't you talk to us about uh, what's going on for you? Yeah, certainly. So uh, I am 33 years old and about 17 years ago, um, I woke up one morning, I was sitting at the breakfast table, had just had a sleepover with a good friend and we were going to go to basketball practice. I was taking a sip of chocolate milk and the next thing I remember is I was in the emergency room. Um, I had a grand mal seizure. Um, and it came out that I have JME, which is juvenile monoclonic epilepsy. Uh, my mother had it and it is a hereditary disease. And actually, I didn't know this, but for about a year prior to that first seizure, I had uh, kind of these smaller seizures or auras where uh, there were times when I would be in the hallway in high school and would be on the ground and my friends would be laughing at me thinking that I was joking around, but I had actually had a minor seizure and just fell to the ground. And, you know, I get very cloudy and gray. And so I didn't remember it and would just wake, you know, stand up and not really know what to do. And, you know, I kind of had this kind of sense of embarrassment. And so this was a really difficult thing to handle because it was a very you know, tough thing that I was not able to control. Didn't have another one actually for six, seven months. We were still doing a lot of different tests as to what triggered my epilepsy. Um, and really we came to understand that sleep deprivation was first and foremost uh, the cause. Uh, second would be if I did not take my medication properly. Third would be binge drinking. And I didn't, didn't really get to that point until college, but it was like, yeah, it wasn't the 16, 17 year old drinking there. Yeah. Um, but it, so that paired with stress. Um, and so it was, it was very, you know, top down, you know, if I got a great night's sleep um, and I missed a day of my medication, you know, I wasn't going to have a seizure. It really, you know, I, I felt like six hours or less of sleep and it was a, a different day that I would wake up to.
1: So you used a few terms there that people might not be familiar with. So, uh, you know, grand mal seizure or
0: why don't you talk a little bit about what those things mean? Yeah, certainly. So a grand mal seizure, um, is where essentially you're, you, you black out, your body goes into uh very intense convulsions, um, and they can last anywhere. And again, you're, you're not conscious. So, I don't actually ever remember having a seizure. I just wake up from them and feel like Mike Tyson punched me in the face. It scares you know, the, the crap out of anyone that I'm with. My face turns blue or purple. Um, if I'm not on my side, I could be at risk for swallowing my tongue. And my body just shakes intensely. And my brain is essentially just being you know, smashed against the ground. And it's, it's killing thousands and thousands of brain cells every time you have a seizure. And then when you wake up, you don't remember actually what happened. And you get very defensive, you actually get very aggressive as well. Uh, you're, You're extremely scared, you don't know where you are. You know, I've woken up from seizures, and people have asked me, you know, what year is it? Or what day is it? What time is it? What's your name? And I don't have the answers to those questions.
1: How long does it take for the memory to come back?
0: It takes actually anywhere from a few hours to a few days to really feel comfortable, let's say, to be able to articulate yourself in a, in a way where you would feel comfortable going into work or going to, you know, a, a social outing. Yeah, there have been times where, you know, I've tried to have a conversation with someone two days later, and I've forgotten basic words like the or, and, or, you know, just even I've been mid-sentence and have had to stop because I don't know what I was saying. You know, the, the scary thing I think with seizures, especially grand mal seizures, and I guess I should touch on the, on what you asked about what aura, aura it is. Yeah. And aura is basically where, you know, we could be sitting right here and I could actually have an aura where you would ask me a question mm-hmm. and I could just sit here and And not actually know what I wouldn't be able to respond, my body would kind of start to tingle, I'd freeze up a little bit, I would be able to understand where I am, but I wouldn't be able to talk and I wouldn't be able to communicate anything, I wouldn't be able to move. And you just kind of freeze up for anywhere from 15 seconds to a minute or so. And so an aura is generally just kind of like this, like, free this body freeze where you don't have like intense convulsions you don't have an awful headache after that happens it's just like this really weird tingly feeling in your body and what's scary is that it actually feels good at first you have kind of this unique tingly feeling where you're like oh that feels good and it's actually scary because you know that like either a seizure is about to come on and or and or an aura and so you know, I've been in, in a work meeting with my C-suite and I've had that happen where you know we're having a very, you know, let's say, intense conversation about the upcoming quarter. Uh, they're looking to me asking a question and I literally can't respond even though I know that I want to and I know that where I am. And so it's just a, a very interesting range of, of things that can happen from an aura to a grand mal seizure. And there are, there are so many different types of seizures as well, but those are the two that I experience.
1: So let's, let's be practical. Let's say that happens during our conversation today. As somebody who's with you, what should I do?
0: The answer to that is make sure that I'm not on my back. And I would also say, you know, make sure the person is either in a bed if possible. That's, that's optimal number one. Otherwise, just make sure that there's nothing sharp or hard or something that they could, you know, fall into or hurt themselves against. And you know, when you ask that, I've actually had a range of things happen from I had a seizure, a grand mal seizure while I was driving. Once I had a grand mal seizure walking out of a restaurant and now my forefront teeth are all fake because I knocked out my teeth. Just a month and a half ago, I was walking to a soul cycle class and I did maybe five minutes of the class before I started to feel this tingle. And when I was walking there, I I actually should have turned around because I felt this kind of warning sign come on where my body and my hand twitched a little bit, but I just thought I was a little bit sleepy still. So I was sitting in the class, class had started, and I started to feel that tingle, and I just booked it out of the class. And I remember pushing the door open out of the studio class, and the next thing I knew, I woke up in an ambulance. And I had had a seizure on the corner of Mission and First Avenue, um, and someone called 911, thankfully, but my face was all bruised up, scratched up. My elbows were all bruised, bruised, scratched my knees, and I really, really hurt myself. And that was very, very scary. And lost four teeth. Well, the four teeth was was actually a different one. one. I've had, unfortunately, I've had a few, I mean, probably four or five dozen seizures. So probably, I don't, I've lost count, but (laughs) I've been trying to get this more under control. And- you know, if I'm going to be completely honest, part of the reason why I don't have my epilepsy under control to this day is that my, I guess my general way of thinking about my medication is that it triggers very awful side effects that I don't like to feel or have, which are, I feel disconnected from the world at times. I feel very numb. Um, A good day can be the same as a bad day because I don't feel anything. It's a very numbing type of side effect. Sometimes I feel depressed. And my neurologist actually just put me on a new medication. So within the last year, I've started this new medication. And it's interesting because the medication I had been on for my first 15 years is now the last of the six types of medication there are for my type of epilepsy. So it is the least recommended because of all of the terrible side effects.
1: What is that medication, the one that that had the terrible side effects?
0: The name is Depakote. Ironically, it's also prescribed for people with depression. Right. So it is a very common drug. And, you know, I think it was inappropriately medicated for people with with epilepsy. Unfortunately, the new medication I'm on, which is called Keppra, this is a much more widely known and impactful medication that has been now proven to be very helpful and uh, really limit the number of people who do have side effects. So my neurologist told me that maybe 10% of people really experience the side effects. I think unfortunately, I'm still in that that 10% right now. But I, I do know that I am seeing a change. And he did say that your body will take a few months to adjust to this. And I just really started taking it religiously last month. February was tough. March was a little bit better. And to be perfectly honest, the last two weeks, I've really noticed this enormous change in just the way I can generally feel things. You know, it's it's something that now I look at and I look back on and I'm like, wow, like you were so lost. You You really were just trying to just go through the motions to have a career, have friends, have family. But I was really lost. What are the side effects that you've experienced of The new medication you said there's like ten percent. It's actually similar, not so much the depression side. The only thing that has now changed is that I I did notice I was very quick to become frustrated or impatient. I'm usually a very laid back kind of chill person. I fortunately actually just saw my neurologist last week, and he's telling me that this is normal. So um, that's that's the optimistic side of things. But he did say that it can take longer than three or four months to actually have your body adjust to this new medication. I'm optimistic.
1: With epilepsy
0: medications, do you sort of have to taper down, taper
1: up in the same way you do um, with a SSRI, for example?
0: So that's where I, I feel like maybe the medication just was overprescribed. I was given a pretty high dosage because of my height and my weight. Just for example, my sisters both take Keppra now or have taken Keppra for a while, uh, just more as a pre- preventative measure. I'll give you an example. They take 500 milligrams a day where I'm prescribed 3,000. And so actually I was taking 1500 in the morning, 1500 at night, and that's where I could forget to take it. I could forget to take it in the morning or at night. And that's where I started getting inconsistent with taking it. And so now I, over the last month, I'm on this new extended release type of the the Kepra. And so I take it every night, but I do take the 3000. Um, but I do think that this change in my emotion and having things Like feel things is that I don't just get this huge punch of this high dosage uh, all at once. It's you know, it's I can feel like you know comes and goes, and there are some some lower times, but there are also you know times like now where I just I feel great. If I'm on a good track and you know I go a few months without having a seizure, then I start feeling a little bit more and more invincible and like in denial that I don't have this disease. Yeah, over the last years I've really been inconsistent with medication. Really not doing well with taking care of myself with sleep and making sure that I'm managing my work stress with my with my sleep and my medication.
1: It seems like there's been a shift at
0: some point in how seriously you take your epilepsy. When did that shift occur? What triggered it? I would say honestly just last year 2018 when I really really let's say started to accept and look at it like Kyle you are being very irresponsible, pretty immature and living this life where it's very unstable. You know, my friends and my family look at me as this like world traveler. I I lived in Europe for four years. I'm always wanting to travel. And, you know, I think there's a part of that where I do love to explore and meet new people and see new cultures. But I do think that a part of that was initiated by the fact that I could never get too close to anyone. And so I did like to go and see and live in a new city or go and have a new job and work for a new company Because initially, I just was like, anytime I let someone too close to me, I felt like I needed to push them away.
1: And so that's Kyle, nearly two decades on from being diagnosed with epilepsy. Asking people about their life experiences is full of surprises. For example, having a seizure seems like a bad thing. And it is. What surprised me was Kyle's description of an aura as a pleasant experience. Another surprise was Kyle's revelation that he takes depression medication for epilepsy. I don't know why I was surprised by that because I've taken anti-seizure medication for bipolar. But there it is. Kyle's experience with Depakote is a good reminder that most drugs for mental illnesses also have side effects. But as my psychiatrist recently reminded me, being unmedicated also has side effects that for Kyle might include something like collapsing in the street. Kyle and I had met in a work context, so I knew there was a whole side of his epilepsy journey that I hadn't heard. The part where he goes to work. You'd mentioned earlier your experience at work, of having the... So you worked in a lot of places. Just walk us through how has epilepsy shown up in your in your career?
0: I graduated from the University of Wisconsin. It was a psychology marketing major called consumer science, and I knew that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I always wanted to explore the the, the business world, and fortunately, I had a few relatives who were older than me that kind of put me on this track of get some inside outside sales experience. So my first job out of college was a mix of you know cold calling people, you know face to face meetings, but it was really you know high volume, kind of this intense sales environment, which is perfect when you respond to stress with a seizure, right? Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So perfect, perfect first job. Yeah. Um, and you know what was bad about that was this job was you need to be at work in your desk at eight a.m. hitting the phones, and then you know work until five you're really, you know, smiling, dialing for the morning. Uh, You're having meetings, you're just like, go, 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 go. And the company that I worked for also had kind of this party culture. And so it seemed that there were happy hours almost every other day. And so, you know, go out after work, have a few drinks, get home at like eight, nine o'clock, go to bed, maybe like 10, 11, not really get a good night's sleep because the alcohol and wake up at, you know, 637, and on that week week over week routine, I just was getting slowly and slowly in that kind of disconnected space where I, I felt like I couldn't do my job well. I would get on the phone with a potential customer and I would lose complete train of thought of what I was saying. I lost multiple deals because I came across as someone who was incoherent or wasn't able to articulate the value prop. I did have a few seizures in the office, several grand mal seizures where there was one time when I had a massive, massive cut down my forehead and nose and across near my eye because I fell face first into my sharp desk and then started pounding my head against it, having the seizure. Wow. By the way, I was aware when you said earlier that, uh, you know, you shouldn't be around sharp objects
1: that were sat around a desk that has a glass top on it. Yes. With very, very sharp yes. edges.
0: I see what you're doing. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: was like, could I have, have uh, covered these up?
0: No, we're OK. Yeah. <laughs> so just I mean, I guess to, to go on there. Yeah. So, you know, I went from that job and I knew I was only going to do that for a few years. But again, I never took the epilepsy seriously enough to say this is actually the root cro- root cause of both personal issues, but also professional professional issues. And so, you know, I worked in this job. It was great. You know, I, I, I did learn a lot. I'm very thankful for it. Uh, I was able to pay off my student loans. And then me and my girlfriend booked a one-way ticket to Australia, and we backpacked for four months. And, you know, I didn't have any seizures while we were abroad. You know, I was taking my medication on and off, but I was getting a good night's sleep and I wasn't stressed. We moved back to the U.S. I started working for a startup in San Francisco. In that environment, because I worked remotely, I was able to really take better care of, let's say, my sleep patterns. Um, And I did notice a big difference there. When I did have a seizure, it was because I drank too much. When I did have a seizure, it was because I wasn't taking my medication.
1: What was it about
0: remote work that let you take better care of yourself? Going from a very micromanaged environment to almost the polar opposite of being, you know, you are in control of your destiny here. If you aren't performing, if you aren't meeting your goals, if you aren't doing your job, that's all that mattered. So I, I do know that there was this level of confidence and trust that gave me, I don't know, a little bit more sense of responsibility. And I do think that that translated into how I was taking care of myself to a certain extent. Um, unfortunately, I was still only a few years out of college. You know, I had probably a, a drinking problem and and I didn't accept that because it just was, you know, you normal. go to the Midwest, it was normal. Yeah. Everyone was going out and having, you know, a, a range of drinks from shots to cocktails to beers. And that just seemed to be status quo. Well, it's not status quo when you have epilepsy right. it's not you know, it's not status quo either probably but <laughs> yeah. you know
1: it <laughs> particularly it, if you have epilepsy particularly <laughs> exactly yeah.
0: but i you know i was living this life in chicago where you know I had, I had a great girlfriend had a great group of friends was close to my family but not in wisconsin so you know i liked that the job itself working remotely just did give me that sense of responsibility it was just the other factors that I started to then feel again, invincible where, okay, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm getting a good night's sleep. The medication, not really liking those side effects. So I'm just not going to take it as, as normal or as religiously as I should. And then, yeah, you know, all my buddies are going out. We're going to go play around a golf, have some drinks, go out afterwards. It's something that when you don't have a disease, you can do and, you know, sleep it off or deal with the hangover. But I would have a, a grand mal seizure and would be down for the count for a day, two days, three days,
1: that topic of acceptance has come up a couple of times as we've been talking. It's so important, I think, with these conditions to at some point come to the acceptance that this is real.
0: I would say that is the most difficult thing. And it's it took me almost 16 years. 16 years where I feel like I lost friends, I lost girlfriends, I lost important people in my life. You know, it's something where you constantly giving yourself a reason as to why it 's someone else 's fault or why you 're not in the wrong or why this disease is something that 's just like this minor condition that you know you can handle and it 's not that big of a deal so you don 't talk about it you don 't want anyone to know about it, um, and then all of those negative things and behaviors that come from it you write them off you you justify it in some of the most messed up ways where You know, you can say, oh, well, I'm just I don't want to work for that person if they're going to say that to me or make me do that, like or whatever, like everything. It was from like taking feedback from a boss to the day to day working conditions. I would have some sort of reason as to why if it didn't feel right or if I wasn't all there, I could find a really easy excuse to say I'm going to leave or I'm going to do something else or screw you.
1: So let's play that out. Let's go back to that first job
0: where you were having seizures at work. You had a few seizures
1: and you were at times incoherent and you were losing deals because you were incoherent.
0: What was the dialogue between you and that employer about your epilepsy? So the CEO didn't really know actually too much about it. He was not always present. Uh, I mean, I had a a much closer relationship with like the VP of sales and my, my director of sales. They were very concerned, but it always felt like, Kyle, if you need some time, take some time, but not too much time and you know we'll we'll see you tomorrow. We can like lower your numbers a little bit, you know we can we can make sure that you're you're feeling better. I was happy to stay and work later. I was happy to come in early at times or you know make up for lost time, but it was just this kind of very regimented system of Between this window of time, 8am to 5pm, you need to hit these numbers, come to work, do your job, or, you know, we're not going to pay you. You know, I have, I still hold a lot of animosity to some people that I had to work with and encounter because I just felt I was just like this, this number, I was just this, I mean, I was a person, but it didn't matter what my name was, just, are you doing your job or not? And we don't care if you are having seizures or not. like you need to be here at eight o'clock.
1: It's that idea of treating your employees like human beings. In your case, there is a very specific, obvious external thing that's going on that needs to be treated with care and humanity. But I would argue everybody, everybody should be treated with care,
0: correct. And right? I was just going to say that. I was like, I'm not looking for an excuse or you know, special treatment. I just am thinking that you know i'm a person i'm an individual and that's that's really what's triggered me to where i am now where i really care about personalizing these employee experiences because you do need to look through the lens of Every person has their own goals, their own passions, their own interests, and also their own problems and their own things that they're dealing with. And, you know, if you trust someone enough to hire them, you need to trust them enough that they're going to do their job. And that doesn't mean that you have to treat them like a robot or like just some sort of number. You know, over the course of my career, I've worked for different companies that have had different levels of care and um, compassion for the disease itself, and then have allowed me to look at my, my goals and what I'm expected to do and really work around that and what's best for me.
1: Let's talk about your current job because it seems like you, you joined this maybe around the time that you were starting to take the disease more seriously. What was different for you about coming into that, into that role with that mindset?
0: Well, I had just spent three, three and a half years in Europe. Um, I was working for a company that um, we had a very intense, aggressive culture. Uh, there was no consistency day over day. I felt like every day could be different where some days it's fun and exciting and you love it. Other days, it's like you're getting screamed at and like belittled for no reason. And it was a, a very intense uh, three and a half years that taught me a lot. And part of the reason why I did come back to the US is because I wanted to be closer to the family, but also because of the environment I was in. I knew that if I was going to take this disease seriously, that I needed to be in a place that would allow me to have stability, control over what I'm doing, and not have someone that's going to put me at high risk for having seizures. So this new role, um, I moved to San Francisco. My title is head of employee experience. And that really excites me, um, especially with the product that we have, which is really about personalizing the employee experience via uh, a branded platform that really creates this central hub for every individual to navigate their day to day. So this new company that I work for is very, very understanding about my disease. They've been very supportive about, you know, if I don't get enough sleep, hey, stay home, work from home today. You know, if I'm not feeling well, you know, come noon or if I didn't sleep well the night before, go home, you know, get, get some rest. They're very, very kind and thoughtful. And I am very appreciative of that. And, you know, that that really speaks to, I think, the leadership. And it also speaks to just kind of the mindset, I would say, of You know, finding the right employer um, and making sure that, you know, whatever disease you have, that you're able to transparently and openly tell them about it so that you can put yourself in the best position to deal with it. And I think that's where me accepting the fact that I need to do something about this disease, paired with making, you know, a very significant change and moving back to the US, really was the catalyst for me to say, okay, new environment, new job, new city, all this stuff that was new. Now, Kyle, like, Get your shit together and take this seriously.
1: How did you figure out that that employer would support you in that way?
0: So I was fortunate enough. I was at a conference in June, last last June 2018 in San Francisco, um, and I actually quoted the keynote speaker, uh, Patty McCord. She made some comment like, when you treat adults like adults they actually act like adults it's crazy shit i know and <laughs> and so i i quoted her and then did the hashtag of the culture amp conference and thomas kunjapu who's my ceo co-founder of cleary reached out to me i think initially trying to sell me the tool we had a number of different conversations that ultimately led to me doing some consulting and that's when i really realized that this person you know isn't just going to be like this like my first company. He's really a human and he really cares both about what they're building, but the mission that they're on and what they're trying to solve for. And you could just tell that the few employees that they did have at the time, uh, that he treated them very well. He did not know that I had epilepsy until I had my first seizure. Oh, okay. So I was not completely honest, I guess, during that whole process.
1: When that first seizure happened, what was the dialogue? What happened after that?
0: My girlfriend called Thomas and let him know what had happened. And they had, I think, a, an extensive conversation and she told him more about what I had. Um, and then it was either a day or two later where uh, Thomas and I sat down and talked and I kind of explained what I had and what I'm dealing with and kind of just what to do again, like you asked, if if I have a seizure. And really just getting all of the notes about if something happens, let's have it make sure that every everything's covered you know, from that day on, you know, I've felt very comfortable telling him very honest feedback about everything. I think that, you know, he's he's someone that takes feedback. Well, he's someone that um, is very open to talking about, you know, difficult conversations. And I think from that day on, I've felt much more comfortable both in the work setting, because I feel like I have this trusted leader who is going to be there for me if something happens. I think he really puts people first. So, you know, that's something that I think every person, again, who has some sort of disease, you know, if they can come to terms with what they have and start accepting that, you know, it's not going to be easy, but if you can start talking with other people, they're so like receptive and caring. And just like, you know, I would say overall understanding that it, they're not like, Oh, you have, you have that. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, yeah. Well,
1: I'm staying away from you. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who are you? No. So I just think that, you know, the more the the more you can become this transparent, open person about what you're dealing with, it seems to just allow them to feel more comfortable opening, opening, opening. And then you really get to a point where you've let out all of these inner demons or you've let out all these frustrations or these insecurities um, and they're all on the table in front of you. And it's, you know, then it's up to you, you know, am I going to address this in a way that is going to make me better or am I going to revert to my old ways yeah. And that's what I kept doing. There's strength, I think, in showing up and being willing to be yourself.
1: And I have found that people respond to that. And I think part of it is that's what everybody wants. Everybody, whether you have some kind of disease or mental illness or not, everyone really wants to be able to be themselves. And you know, that courage that you show to say, like, hey, Kyle, I have epilepsy. That's what this this means. That can build those bonds of trust, and when you talked about your experience with your CEO, I heard a real strong sense of loyalty there, and like this desire to really do well and work well, um, you know, in the company. And that comes from that trust because you know you can give feedback, you know you can take a risk, and like and it, and it won't have negative consequences compared to that first experience, right, where you knew like, oh god, if I screw something up, I'm
0: out. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that, that level of trust and care is free. That didn't cost the company anything to do that. And they have, they have a loyal employee. They have someone who's really excited about their product, their vision, what they're doing, and really living and breathing the environment that we're trying to build as well within our own company.
1: Going to work, succeeding at work, putting work above all the other parts of your life is so deeply ingrained in our collective belief system that people don't even think about it or question it. Many people don't think twice about going into the office with an illness and will happily tough it out when they might have benefited from a day resting in bed. And of course the irony of this is that we'll quite happily tell other people to stay home when they're sick but we're just not quite so generous with ourselves. So when you think about it like that, are you surprised that Kyle, a smart, energetic young man, stayed late at work to call Hong Kong, knowing that limiting his sleep might lead him to a seizure? Of course not. We've got to learn to make our own health, both physical and mental, a priority. But what's the business reason for making sure that people look after themselves? Well, first, I think caring about people and wanting them to be healthy is a great reason to look after them and giving them the space to take care of whatever health problems they have. But I think Kyle gave some great other reasons. If you treat people like adults, generally, they behave like adults. And if you're there for somebody when they need support, they'll repay you with loyalty. Now, I always recommend that people who are going to be interacting with somebody with a mental health condition do some research and get some basic education. So I wondered, where does one go to get more information about epilepsy? I know that there are HR people who listen to this podcast, and you know that's a you know an organization that hopefully in most cases cares about the health well-being of their employees. If I was an HR person, I guess I am an HR person. So let's say if I would go back to my team and say, "Hey, learn a little bit more about uh, epilepsy and what we could do to support somebody in the workplace. Where should we go? What resources should we look to?" Uh,
0: There's a great organization called Cure. Uh, it stands for Citizens United for Research and Epilepsy. Um, they're based in Chicago, and I just feel like their their contributions to both to research, but also to the community of people who have epilepsy, both in terms of educating uh, people who you know have kids or have family members or friends with it, uh, to both the people who have it. They're a great resource. They have a great community, and I just I you know there is the Epilepsy Foundation. But again, it's one of those massive organizations where it just feels much more of like a for-profit business at times than a nonprofit. profit So I'm a huge supporter of Cure. And hopefully in the coming months, you'll see a, a new nonprofit called Athletes for Epilepsy. I found, was going to ask you about founded that. Founded by yeah. Kyle Borkhart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a huge, again, sports junkie. I love being outdoors and doing active mm-hmm. things. Um, so actually in November of 2017 and then in October of 2018, I ran the New York and the Chicago Marathon without training uh, to raise awareness for epilepsy. And I'm, this year I'm running the San Francisco, Chicago, and New York. And With I, training? I'm gonna train a little bit this time, um, but I want to just do some certain things that you know make me passionate. And I I also feel you know when I am active and I'm doing sort of you know sports or athletic type of things, those endorphins I would say do make me feel healthier. And I and I know I do notice there's a correlation when I am more active, I have less seizures. So there's also that. So I'm just a big you know advocate for helping anyone with the disease, really with epilepsy. That's where I'm really focused on, but, you know, helping people realize that you don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to go to work and feel like I can't do my job. Well, you really can live a, you know, a life where, you know, you have supporters, you have people around you and you really can do things that, you know, interest you and you're passionate about. It just comes with, I would say that level of acceptance. And then the people who have a range of types of epilepsy I think that there you know there are people who have seizures every day. I think for those who battle any disease, it's be open as as much as you can be transparent with the people who are close to you. Find I wouldn't say like a mentor or like a buddy, but find someone that you can always just go to and open up to. And if it just means calling them and saying, you know, having a really shitty day, I'm really having some trouble here, like can we just talk? You know, there are just there are ways to I think deal with uh, that internal struggle, and I would say finding someone that you really care about and trust and love um, that you can start with as that single individual to open up to it really starts giving you this understanding that you can go to others, and there are people who are going to care about you and help you. And you know, you just have to find the right the right group. And you know, it's not like everyone's going to be you know your savior or the person that's going to be there to help you because not everyone's going to do that. But you know, find your inner circle.
1: That's some very wise advice. I'm going to give you the opportunity to go back in time to your in your journey you can pick where and to be able to tell yourself something
0: i would say honestly it would be the day that i graduated from the university of wisconsin in may of 2008 i would have told myself okay you had your fun you learned a lot you have a degree now go out into the business world You know, try a few different things, explore different industries, different roles, find what you're really passionate about, but take care of yourself and take care of what you have and the disease that you have. Take your medication every day, get your sleep, and you can still have fun, but you don't have to go out and have this continuation of college paired with this feeling of not knowing who you are. Just accept that you have something and start to deal with it. And I would say, first and foremost, above all that, I would just say, find your happiness, make yourself happy, and do so in a responsible and mature way.
1: You mentioned the non profits launching later this year. Uh, is there somewhere that people can go to now to sign up for kind of a notification, or is there a website? Like, how could we? How could people track that?
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I'm I'm in the midst of doing all that. It's uh, it's athletes the number four uh, dot org, but it's it's not live yet. So. Okay. Got it. Yeah, teaser. So,
1: <laughs> so find some service on the internet where you
0: can like keep track of when a website like goes live or something like that.
1: Carl, anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up?
0: I want to say thank you to you. I really feel uh, grateful for this time we've had to talk because I've opened up really about a lot of things that I haven't talked about in a while, especially with someone I just met. And that's also kind of this promising thing for me where I felt comfortable talking with you, but I also feel very grateful because you made me feel comfortable and so i would just say to everyone out there who has a disease put your best foot forward make sure that you know that there are people there to support you and don't try and be someone that you're not that find that inner happiness first and foremost
1: kyle i want to say thank you for making the time to come on the show thanks so much for having me so that's kyle's story a man in his early 30s finally coming to terms with living with a difficult but manageable condition kyle's journey is one many of us need to take. Something happens that puts us in a doctor's office. Maybe, like me, your thoughts of despair have gone on too long, or like Kyle, you've woken up in the hospital after a seizure. The doctor gives you a diagnosis bipolar, anxious, epileptic. You get some instructions for managing it, you put them into action. Broadly speaking, they work. Great! But then something changes, and the condition flares up again. And then, after the fourth time you've learned to manage it, and it's flared up again, you start to resent your condition. I think when you reach that point, that's where the hardest journey starts. Because I think the journey of our lives is to learn to accept that epilepsy, bipolar, anxiety, or whatever it might be, is a part of us. And the only thing we can do is embrace it. If you like what you heard in today's episode of Silent Superheroes, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear about new episodes as they're released... You can sign up for our newsletter at SilentSuperheroes.com or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Superheroes.
2: Take your mental health seriously. If you need to speak to someone, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or text crisistextline.org at 741-741. Both provide 24-7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info slash resources slash crisis underscore centers slash. To help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.